Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our day to do meditation together. We're doing breathing mindfulness meditation. This is a primary practice as part of this path to enlightenment shared with us by the Buddha. The Buddha shared teachings that guide us to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. We no longer experience any discontentedness, no sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness. None of these discontent feelings and others are all eradicated from the mind. But in order to accomplish that goal, you need to understand and practice the entire path to enlightenment, which includes breathing mindfulness meditation. Breathing mindfulness meditation is a primary aspect a foundational practice as part of this path. It is easy to say that one would not be able to attain enlightenment in the Buddha's teachings without a well-developed breathing mindfulness meditation practice because the primary problem that the mind is experiencing is craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind has this objects of its affection, it's chasing after its desires, it has this yearning or this longing with a strong eagerness. This is why when we meditate, if you're experiencing the mind going to the past or the future, or it has various thoughts or ideas or perceptions, that's the longing, that's the yearning. The mind isn't interested in just staying in the middle. It's not interested in staying in the present moment. So what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to come back to the present moment, eliminating that unwholesome quality in the mind where it constantly wants to move somewhere else. And what you're also doing is you're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind so that you become aware sooner and sooner when the mind's not in the present moment and you become aware of these arising thoughts and feelings in the mind. Because the more you train this way in meditation, where you're aware of the mind, you're noticing the thoughts and the feelings, you're noticing the craving arising, and you can cut it off and let it go and bring it back to the present moment. Well, then when you've cultivated that and you've gotten better and better at that over multiple sessions in daily life, then as you're experiencing various situations where various feelings or thoughts are arising in the mind, you can then very easily cut them off, very easily let them go and do what the Buddha said, which is obliterate them at the stump. Because if you can observe the bodily sensations of anger arising while they're still bodily sensations and you can cut them off there, then they never pollute the mind. 
and you're peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, or if you can feel jealousy arising and you can cut that off and let it go, or you can feel the boredom or loneliness arising and you can cut that off and let it go. But also, if you feel arising happiness or excitement or euphoria based on some impermanent condition, then you can cut that off and let it go too, so that the mind no longer bases its inner feelings on impermanent conditions. And the better that you get at that, noticing with mindfulness or awareness of mind that these feelings are arising as bodily sensations, and you cut them off or obliterate them at the stump the way that the Buddha talked about, eventually you get to the point where certain situations will occur and you don't even feel any arising discontentedness whatsoever. For some of you guys that have been studying with me for a while, you may have actually had some of these experiences. I know that Josh, I see him here, he ex shared one in class a, a few months ago where once he learned about impermanence and he was carrying groceries in his house and the bag just broke apart and the groceries fell on the floor, he just picked them up and took them in the house with no anger or irritation or annoyance. This is what you can experience. And I'm sure that if you've been learning and practicing with these teachings that I'm sharing for any length of time, you may have had more than one of those experiences where in the past the mind would have reacted in a negative way, experiencing frustration or irritation or some other discontent feeling. But now, instead of that, you've trained the mind and you've cut off these thoughts more and more. Now you don't feel that anymore. You just feel peacefulness. You feel nothing because the craving, desire, attachment that's causing that discontentedness or that lack of wisdom, that ignorance or unknowing its reality is starting to be slowly eroded. So therefore, as you eliminate this craving, this anger, this ignorance, the mind starts residing more and more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And it just takes time to gradually work towards that and gradually clean out all this pollution in the mind so that then you can feel and experience the brightness of the enlightened mind. So today, all we're going to do is breathing mindfulness meditation. We're going to just focus on that and then open up for questions. I'll open up for questions now to see if you guys have any questions before we go into our meditation on anything that I just shared or how to actually do breathing mindfulness meditation. And then I'll provide you some guidance to get into breathing mindfulness meditation and we'll open up for some more questions at the end. The way that you can get your questions asked and answered is if you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you just put those into the comment section and our moderators will see that. We've got Manal, we've got James, we've got Bossom, and they will see your comments and be able to ask them during the class. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'll just open things up before we actually start with our guided meditation. Hi, David. It seems that we have no questions at this time. Okay, so let's go right into our guided meditation then. So if you're meditating on the floor, you might need a cushion to get your rear up in the air. Or if you're on a chair, you might need to just get your lower body comfortable with your feet either flat on the floor or maybe crossed at your ankles. Your hands and arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together and then put that in his lap. But if that's not comfortable for you for any reason, 
This isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same. It's about finding what works for you. So you can put your palms on your thighs or your knees or the armrests of the chair. Just make your lower body and your hands and arms comfortable, almost like as if they don't exist, but not luxurious because the mind will have a tendency to disengage if you do that. We would like to keep the mind attentive and alert. So that's why we keep the upper body erect and straight. We keep the spine erect so that the mind stays attentive and alert during meditation. Now just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Take some nice natural breaths. Just breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm sharing. And that's okay. These are just reminders to help you remember to breathe. So you'd like to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. Don't try to control it or force it but just breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full natural breath, nice and gradual. And when you get to the top of that breath, exhale nice and gradual, nice and steady, experiencing the full exhale through the nose. Breathing in. and out. Start to observe the sound of the breath. Notice how that once the mind fixates on this breath, it's in the present moment. And the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy in the present moment. So fixate the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath coming into the body or the sensation of air moving into the nose. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chanting just to ease us into meditation. You're welcome to join these chants if you are familiar with them and would like to join in. Or you can just stay here focusing on the breath. And then I'll be back with some more guidance. Arahang Samma Sambhuto Mahakava 
पीवा सवखातो महाकवता तमो दामं नमसामी सुपातिपानो महाकवतो सावकसंखो संघनमामि नपमोरहसाभागवतो हारहतो समासाभुतासा नपमोरहसाभागवतो हारहतो समासाभुतासा नपमोरहसाभागवतो हारहतो समासाभुतासा Iti piso mahakwa arahang samasamhuto Vichacharanang samhuno sakato rokawitu Anu pero purisa damasati sata tawa manusanang huto pagwati. Okay, you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. As the mind wanders, either to the past or the future, wherever you notice that, just cut it off and let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. In out. When the mind wanders off the breath, you haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty or shameful. 
You're not bad at meditation. It's just what the mind does. The unenlightened mind is going to wonder. But wherever you notice that, let that go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath and wherever the mind is not on the breath cut it off and let it go you have nowhere to go there's nothing to do no one needs you right now just focus on the breath breathing in and out
We can open up to any questions that you guys have related to your meditation practice or anything really along this path to enlightenment, anything that you're studying, anything that you're learning, anything that you're encountering in your life that you feel like you would like to understanding of how to apply these teachings. If there was something in the recent talk that I've done or in the book or anything you've heard or seen anywhere in the Buddhist community, in the Buddhist world, feel free to ask those questions and I'll help you to understand my perspective and point of view on that. The way you ask a question is in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Just put your question in the comment section and in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions there. We have moderators that will be able to see all of that and make sure your question gets asked during the class. 
Uh, David, we have a question from Biplot on Facebook. He asks, sir, can I set an alarm in meditation? Yes, you can do anything you would like to do in the entire world. You know, you're a free functioning human being with free will decisions. There's no rules of things that you can or can't do in the Buddhist teachings. What a Buddhist teacher is doing and what the Buddha did himself is provide guidance based on our practice, based on what we see works in order to produce enlightenment, we're providing you guidance. And one of the things that I provide guidance on in chapter 11 about meditation is not to set an alarm during your meditation. Now that's ideal, but that can apply permanently in all situations because not everybody has the ability to not set an alarm. Maybe you're meditating in the morning and you've got to go to work or you've got other responsibilities to attend to. So maybe you need to set an alarm in that situation. But maybe in the nighttime or on the weekends, you don't need to set an alarm. And those are times where I would suggest that you don't set an alarm because it's best for the mind to just sink into meditation and not be longing or yearning to know what time it is or even how long you actually meditated because the goal is to get to 30 minutes or beyond and that's where you're going to get the most benefits and to be able to observe that all you need to do is kind of look at the clock maybe once a week before going into meditation and after meditation or maybe even less frequently but there are going to be situations where you might need an alarm and you can do that there's no rules that say you can't do that it's just that what i'm sharing in chapter 11 and what i share as i teach is what works best and you'll find that what works best is not setting alarm but that's not going to be able to happen for you permanently in every situation so that's why you use your own free will decisions to decide what's best but know that what i'm sharing with you is what's going to be most helpful but it's not going to be able to be applied in 100 percent of all situations we have another question on Facebook from Tatiana. I've been having terrible, almost people-like nightmares about Buddhism. I can't really explain it. Can you please tell me what this is supposed to mean? I'm spooked, truly terrified, warm regards. Hi, Tatiana. She's in Australia, actually, so it's pretty late for her. She's joining us. Uh, this is good. Tatiana, the um, dreams that we have are essentially the consciousness, the mind. Oftentimes when we have dreams, the mind is releasing things from the mind, which is actually quite helpful. But what you have to understand is dreams are just dreams. They're not true reality. It's not what is actually the truth. So when you experience dreams and you awake from them, just like everything else that's happened in the past, you got to cut that off and let it go and move on. If you allow the mind to dwell in the dream, and hold on to what happened in the dream, then it's going to burden you and it's going to bog the mind down and you're going to find that it's very difficult to walk forward. These dreams, they don't mean anything other than the fact that that just happens to be what's in the mind. So train the mind to let go. When you wake up from the dream, whether it was a bad dream as you're having or even if it was a miraculous dream, even if it was so wonderful and you felt so much peace during the dream. The fact is, is that once you awake, it's in the past. And just like something happened in the past, somebody cut you off in traffic, 
and you had to let that go, or somebody stole your bubble gum when you were a child and you had to let that go, you have to let go of anything that's coming up in a dream because there is no purpose to these dreams. If you're yearning and you're seeking and you're longing for an interpretation of your dream, that's craving desire attachment. And there's no way to interpret a dream to mean something. What it means is your mind's not empty yet. Your mind still has things that it's holding on to. So let it go and just know that it's in the past and just keep on going in your day. It seems that oftentimes we're able to let go of our dreams much easier than we're able to let go of things that happened in the past. Would you say that that ability to let go of a dream is a bit useful in learning how to let go of things in the past? Absolutely. You know, some of these dreams can be so vivid and, you know, we experience it like it's true reality, like we're actually alive and going through these experiences. And that's why when we awake, oftentimes people are very startled by it because there's intricate details that we remember. And it can be based on different things that the mind's holding on to. But through doing what you're saying, James, which is learning how to let go of the dream, is going to also help you solve that number one problem that leads to discontentedness. The reason why we experience discontentedness is craving desire attachment, that longing with a strong eagerness, the yearning, the holding on to things. Well, in this case, if somebody's holding on to a dream, that's what's causing the discontentedness. Just like if somebody cuts you off into traffic and you hold on to that, it's going to cause discontentedness. So every, every, every single one, 100% of every craving, desire, attachment, it's going to cause discontentedness, no matter whether it's a dream, whether it's you have a longing for somebody to be peaceful. If you have a longing for your partner or your mom or your dad to be loving or kind, even though these are good, wholesome things, if you have a craving for your child or your dog or your animal or anything, these things, wholesome or unwholesome, there's no such thing as a craving that is going to produce beneficial results. There's no craving, desire, attachment that's ever going to lead to anything other than discontentedness. In fact, one of the Buddhist teachings that he shares is he says, all discontentedness that's happened in the past, it all happened based on craving, desire, attachment. Any discontentedness that is happening right now in the world, it's all based on craving, desire, attachment. And any discontentedness that's going to arise in the future, it's all based on craving, desire, attachment. Every single aspect of discontentedness, it's all from craving, desire, attachment. And when you train the mind to let go of that, even just craving, to know the meaning of a dream or holding on to uh, just the memories of the dream. This is going to cause discontentedness and you just got to train the mind to let it go. And the better the mind gets at that through training with breathing mindfulness meditation, you'll be able to do that in daily life more and more readily. And you'll find that your mind will be more and more peaceful as a result. We have a question on YouTube that's also somewhat related to dreaming from Tricia. Hello, David. Since I have been meditating consistently, I have noticed that I don't dream. And sometimes during meditation, I feel like I'm floating. Is this normal? 
Yes, this is normal. Anything that we experience in life is all normal. As somebody gets closer and closer to enlightenment and as the mind starts awakening, you might notice that dreams disappear. The reason for this is that the mind comes into the present moment and the mind's been emptied out. So someone who's further along on the path, it's not uncommon for dreams to not exist and no longer exist in the mind. But that's not to say that's for everyone. There's some people who are close to enlightenment who still have dreams. In my case, I stopped having dreams for a good eight or 10 years. And then as I started practicing these teachings more and more, the dreams actually came back and I actually started having dreams again. So dreams aren't necessarily an indication that someone is getting close to enlightenment, but it's not uncommon for somebody to experience an elimination of dreams for them who's walking closer to enlightenment. Or another way to say that in the language that Tracy is using or Trish is using is that it's normal for somebody to not have dreams. Uh, I've seen things in the news where there's certain people that say, everyone has to have dreams. If you don't have dreams, you haven't had a good night's sleep. And there's actually doctors and professionals that will try to induce dreams because they believe that everyone in the world has to have dreams in order to have a good night's sleep. But this is the mind craving permanence. They want permanence. It's not true that everyone needs to have dreams. So it's normal for dreams to disappear. And it's also normal during meditation to feel like you're floating. Some people experience that and some people don't. Some people even have out-of-body experiences while they're meditating, almost like they're observing themselves from far away. Or Basim and I were talking recently about how when you're breathing in meditation, sometimes it feels like you're kind of like one step removed, almost like you're observing the breath. You're not actually the breath itself, but you're like one step away from it. And this is common too. You can have all these different experiences and uh, it's just completely normal. We have a question from IA on YouTube. I was wondering, is an enlightened being spiritual? Depends on how you define the word spiritual. Different people have different meanings for that. To me, the more that we put these labels out there, the more we have to get everyone to agree what these labels mean and then apply them to somebody. To me, it's better to just drop all these labels. If we would like to talk about what an enlightened being is, we can, right? An enlightened being isn't someone who's following rules. They're not following a doctrine. They're not following a religion. They're not conforming to anything. They're basically learning and practicing teachings to be able to see the truth and be able to see it very clearly where they can independently observe the truth. They're not basing what they're learning and discovering off a of belief because belief won't lead to enlightenment. Belief, you don't know whether it's true or false. But with someone who's making their way to enlightenment, they need to develop and cultivate deep wisdom. And in order to get the wisdom, someone has to be able to independently observe the truth for themselves. So when the Buddha talks about impermanence, for example, that's a teaching that you can take and you can go independently confirm that and you can see the truth for yourself. And then you know, aha, yes, the Buddha is correct. And now you have more wisdom in terms of discontentedness and the three feelings that he describes. You can take those three feelings. You can look at your mind. You can reflect on that. And aha, yeah, he's right. The unenlightened mind does experience discontentedness. You can take things like the Four Noble Truths 
and you can take those. The cause of discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment, the mind craving for permanence. You can take that, look in your life and observe your life and see, aha, yeah, he's true. And that's true. So that as well as the Eightfold Path, you can look at his teachings and you can apply them and you can independently see that these are true. And the more that you see that truth, then you've got wisdom. And now the mind starts functioning through that wisdom more and more easily. And now you're no longer experiencing discontentedness because the mind starts to function through this newfound wisdom. So depending on how someone defines that word spiritual or spirituality, it depends on whether it applies to an enlightened being or not. But I think what most people think about with spirituality is that you're not following rules. You're not following religion. You're not following doctrine. You're not following a, a dogma. An enlightened being isn't a follower at all, actually. And one of the things that people use when they talk about practitioners or students of the Buddha is they will say followers of Buddhism or followers of the Buddha. I don't consider any enlightened being a follower because in order to get to enlightenment, you're not following anybody. You're learning, you're being guided, you're understanding, you're gaining insight and guidance from a teacher, but you're not following that teacher. You, you should be encouraged to go out, investigate and examine those teachings and independently see the truth for yourself because the more you do that, the more wisdom you're gonna get. This is an entirely independent journey. The path to enlightenment is an independent journey that each individual being is on by themselves. Now, with that said, you need to have a teacher and a relationship to be able to seek guidance from them. But it's your journey. It's your responsibility to reach out and to pursue the teachings. And with that said, that this is an independent journey, there is this interconnectivity between all of us that when we make a decision, it affects other people. There's that interconnectivity between us. But we have to always maintain the responsibility for our own practice. By doing that, then we take the sole responsibility to learn, to reflect, to practice, to discover the truth. And when we maintain that responsibility, then the mind will have a less of a tendency to become complacent or lazy. Whereas if it's our teacher's job to call up everybody or send everyone an email, message everybody, make sure everyone's meditating, now that's craving desire attachment on the teacher's part to go around and make sure everyone's meditating. And then the person isn't assuming responsibility. They're not accepting responsibility for their own practice. So the way that I guide students is each individual student is responsible for their own growth. I'm just here as a guide. I'm here to provide guidance only for those people who are interested in seeking guidance. And as they do, then I will share that with them. But spirituality, it really comes down to how you define that word. I had a question, David, related to our previous class and also meditation. Can you speak about the importance of cultivating positive mental states in regards to our meditation and further? How much can negative mental states inhibit our meditation? Yeah, see, one of the challenges with the unenlightened mind is it gets in these cycles of negativity. And things happen to us that we don't understand in the unenlightened mind. 
because we don't understand true reality. We don't understand what we don't understand. And because we don't see true reality, we have this pollution in the unenlightened mind. We're looking through this pollution at the outside world. And we typically will blame the outside world for being wrong. And there's something wrong with it. And everyone else is wrong because we're looking through this pollution and we have these negative perceptions of other people and situations. And because of this negativity, the mind is kind of stuck in this cycle of constantly being negative because it can't understand what it doesn't understand. It looking through this pollution, it's got this craving, anger and ignorance that's clouding its view of any particular situation. So what you've got to transform that to is eliminate that craving, anger and ignorance, replace it with generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. And as you do, you start clearing away this darkness. You start clearing away this negativity and you can start seeing true reality that all this time as you've been in this unenlightened state, it's you the whole time. You've been the whole problem. Doesn't mean everyone else doesn't have problems too. Everyone else has problems. But when you start clearing away the negativity and you start focusing on what the real problem is, the real problem is your own mind. It's not the guy that cuts you off in traffic. It's not that you lost your job. It's not that your partner or your children don't do what you want them to do. The problem is that the mind wants certain things. It craves certain things. It desires certain things. And when things don't happen the way we want in the unenlightened state, the mind becomes discontent. So it becomes very negative and it looks out at things as very negatively. It gets very disgruntled and the mind struggles and have difficulties in the world. But when you clear all this out and you start focusing on the real problem, which is improving the condition of your own mind and getting rid of that pollution now the mind can start seeing positivity in everything and anything it doesn't mean that we're not aware of all this unwholesome stuff that happens right we're aware of all these unwholesome things we're aware of the misery and the suffering that happens in the world in fact the more enlightened you become you'll probably actually observe those things even more and not only will you observe them, but you'll know the exact reason and the cause of why those things are happening. So an enlightened being, they know there's these unwholesome, miserable, displeasing things in the world, but they're choosing to train their mind to not attach their contentedness and their peacefulness on that stuff. The world doesn't have to be perfect for an enlightened being to be peaceful. The world doesn't have to function where everyone else is peaceful before an enlightened being is peaceful. An enlightened being understands that as they progress in their practice, they've got to get this peacefulness and contentedness despite what's going on in the world. The more that the mind craves things to be a certain way in the world, the more discontentedness you're going to experience. So you've got to transform this negativity and this negative outlook on the world, realizing that that's your own mind producing all of that stuff. And you need to continue to walk towards this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy, despite what's going on in the world and not hold on to wanting the world to be a certain way. 
doesn't mean you're not concerned about the world, right? That's compassion, concern about the misfortunes of others. Doesn't mean you're not concerned about the world. It just means you're not worried about the world. A worried mind is going to be discontent because it's so worried. It sees all the problems. But a concerned mind sees the problems. It understands the problems. It even understands the cause of the problems. And it understands the solution to those problems. So that's why you can have concern. And a concerned mind also knows that you can't fix all those problems. All those problems that are happening in the world, none of us can fix them. Not individually and not even as a group. We can't fix every single human being in this world. The problems that we experience in the world, it's caused by human beings. Us human beings are making decisions that are causing harm in the world. Therefore, harm is coming to us. And we can't force another human being to do one thing or the other. So despite all this negativity, despite all these problems in the world and everybody making their own free will choices to either do wholesome or unwholesome things, we have to find the positivity and transform our mind to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy without attaching our inner feelings to what is or isn't going on with other people or other people in the world or how world events are transpiring. We have to let go of all of that and know that we can't fix it. All we can fix is our own mind. Thank you, David. I'll turn it over to Basim now for our Zoom questions. Okay, thanks, James. Hey, we have a question from Holly. She says, when something is pressing on the mind, it's harder to let go. For example, the parent of a friend of my son's is upset with something he did. She wants me to call her, and I'm anxious about what I will say. If I will be able to stay calm if she is upset or says harsh words to me that kept coming back to me during meditation, and I was unable to cut it off successfully. Is it better to not meditate when something like this is going on? No, you should always be meditating, Holly. Uh, there's no reason to stop meditating unless you just physically can't for some reason. Like there was a period of time where I got in a motorbike accident and my rib was cracked and I could barely breathe. But even then I was I was still trying to I shouldn't say barely breathe, but it was hard to breathe. Even then I was still trying to meditate with just shallow breaths, but I couldn't take the real deep breaths that I was used to. So you should always be meditating, never give up on your meditation. But one of the things that I heard in there, if I'm understanding correctly, is your mind is anxious and anticipating what will or will not happen in the future with this conversation with the other parent. This is the craving desire attachment. You're thinking about the future. You're worrying about the future. And that's why the mind is experiencing that anxiety or that fear about what may or may not happen. You've got to bring the mind into the present moment and just reside in the present moment. And if you're going to call this parent and just have the conversation, whatever the conversation is, but the more you anticipate what is or isn't going to happen, that's where the mind is going to get spun up and start having this anxiety and these fears. 
So if you need to put some space between you and the phone call, then go ahead and do that and gain some more composure, some more equanimity, that calmness, that composure, that evenness of temper. But the reason why your mind is experiencing the discontentedness is not because of the meditation. If the meditation was the problem that was causing the discontentedness, then yeah, stop the meditation. But the meditation isn't the problem. The meditation is actually the solution. The problem is the craving desire attachment. That's what we need to eliminate, that longing for the future. And that's what's the real cause of this discontentedness. The meditation isn't the cause of the discontentedness. That's actually the solution. So don't stop that. Well, uh, Holly Ask saying, maybe it would be better to meditate after I speak to her so that uh, so that is not my, uh, on my mind anymore. You can do it either way. It's up to you, uh, Holly. You have to decide for yourself. You can try to meditate before. You can try to meditate after. You can do before and after. You know, if you need to be doing some loving kindness meditation, like I, I couldn't hear the question 100%, but I'm not sure if this is just a, a friend of yours that's having a problem with her child or whether this is another parent that's having a problem with your child. Because in that case, if the parent is having a problem with your child, maybe there's some anger or frustration that's coming up. And maybe you need to do some loving kindness meditation for this person before having the conversation. So I'm not sure what are the details, but either way, you have to figure that out and then know whatever conversation you have, it's not the end of the world, right? Let's just say you had a conversation with her. Say it goes 15, 20 minutes and it just goes horrible. Just say it goes horrible. Say you're not practicing. Say you yell at her. Say you get angry, right? It's not the end of the world, right? It should uncover some things for you. So if your mind is trying to be perfect and it's anticipating this conversation and you don't want to have this conversation because you're trying to be perfect, then that's part of the craving desire attachment. You've got to just reside in the present moment, have whatever conversation you're going to have, skillfully work with that and handle the conversation. And if it goes halfway good, halfway bad, okay, that's fine. If it goes 100% great, great. If there's some things that you can improve, which I'm sure there's going to be, right? Even if the call goes 95% wonderful, I'm sure there's going to be some nugget in there of something you're gonna discover that you could have done better. And that's what you focus on, is don't focus on the perfection and being perfect, but focus on even if it goes 95% well, what's the 5% that I could have improved, right? I used to do this when I would be involved in conversations and, and I knew that this person was 99% wrong and I knew that I was only 1% in the wrong, so to speak. I didn't focus on their 99% because the conversation is done and over with, that's their practice. I always focused on my 1%. And if you focus on your 1% or your 5% or your 10 or your 20, then that's where your real benefit is. Because this person who you're talking to, they're impermanent in your life. They're not permanently in your life, but you are in this life with this mind for the rest of this life. So no matter what experience you have, good, bad, or indifferent, always figure out what is that part that you can improve and if you walk away from a conversation where you've gotten some nuggets of things you can improve well then it was a very successful conversation
because you've uncovered two, three, four things that you could improve. And that's very helpful for your practice. Well, we have a question from Marisha. She says, it started a few months ago that I wake up at 3 a.m. and I am unable to go back to sleep. I have not let this worry me too much as I don't feel like I have any sleep deprivation. Do you think this has anything to do with my meditation or my general practice? Yes, it does. And it also has to do with impermanence. We're not going to permanently go to sleep and permanently wake up at the same time. It's not possible. While people call sleeping, they talk about a sleep schedule. Calling it a sleep schedule is to imply that the body's going to always fall asleep and always wake up at the same time. It's not possible. And this leads people to think or believe that if we fall asleep at a different time or we wake up at a different time, that something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. It's just that the body's sleeping for whatever it needs to sleep and you're waking up at three o'clock and you don't feel sleep deprived. You feel fresh and that's completely normal. But I can share with you that waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning isn't permanent either. At some point, that's going to shift. What you're going to notice as you meditate and as you learn these teachings more and more, you're going to notice that as the mind awakens, you're actually going to need less and less sleep. This is one of the reasons why we call it awakening the mind. Because walking around with craving anger and ignorance, it's a real burden on the mind. And it makes the mind need eight, nine, 10, 12. There was even a period of time where I was sleeping 16 hours a day in my life. Can you imagine sleeping 16 hours a day? That's how heavily burdened and defiled and polluted my mind was at that time. So that is what happens when our mind is heavily defiled and polluted is we need these long periods of sleep in order to recover because the mind is so burdened. But when you start eliminating that burden of craving, desire, attachment, the mind's going to function more optimally. It's going to come into the middle and it's going to be less burdened. So therefore, it's going to be tranquil. It's going to be peaceful. And you're going to find that you need less and less sleep. There may be some nights where you sleep two, four hours and you wake up and you're like, wow, I feel so refreshed just with that two or four hours. There might even be some nights where you don't sleep at all. And you go through a whole 48 hour period and you just don't even sleep. Now, if your mind's craving permanence and you think there's this sleep schedule, someone might run off to a doctor thinking that they have insomnia and start pushing uh, sleeping pills because they're worried that they're not getting their sleep. But if you understand impermanence and you understand that the mind's awakening and it's becoming more optimal, then what you're talking about is where your mind needs to be, which is you said, when I wake up at 3 a.m., I feel refreshed and I feel refreshed throughout my day and I don't feel like I'm lacking any sleep whatsoever and I can function just fine in my day. Perfect. That's what you need to look at. And as long as that's happening, then everything's completely fine. It's just that your sleep is moving around because of impermanence and your mind is awakening because of meditation. It's functioning more optimally. So you're going to find that you're going to need less sleep and your sleep's going to bounce around and it's going to continue to do that your whole life. You're never going to sleep 
at the exact same time. You're never going to wake up at the exact same time and you're never going to sleep for exactly six hours or exactly eight hours. This is a huge myth in the world. There's even doctors that claim that everyone has to sleep six to eight hours in order to have a good night's sleep. Well, maybe that's ideal. Maybe that's what would help in most situations. But there's some people that don't need six or eight hours of sleep. You know, if somebody says that everybody has to sleep six to eight hours a day, that's permanence. And right away, we know it's not true. There's some people that sleep only four hours a day and are functioning completely fine. So just keep tabs on what it is that you are keeping tabs on, which is you're noticing that you don't feel sleep deprived and you have the energy that you need in order to conduct your life. And that's all that really matters. How much time or when you fall asleep or when you wake up, it doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant. It's impermanent. Well, a question about the four foundations of mindfulness. If uh, all discontentedness starts, exists, and ceases to exist, all inside the mind, all in the mind. So why the Buddha taught that the first two uh, phases or stages of the four uh, foundations of mindfulness are bodily sensations and feelings? They start at the body. Yeah, so what the Buddha is teaching in the four foundations of mindfulness is kind of like the trajectory or the process that one experiences as discontentedness is arising. So what is discontentedness? Discontentedness is painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And I give examples of those in the book of what is a painful feeling, what is a pleasant feeling, and what is a feeling that's neither painful nor pleasant. So that is what is discontentedness. Craving, desire, attachment is the cause of discontentedness. That's what causes it. Well, now in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, what the Buddha is talking about without actually saying it this way is this is how discontentedness arises. It's first going to be experienced as a bodily sensation. Then it's going to be experienced as a feeling in the mind. Then it's going to affect the condition of the mind. Then it's going to become a mental object, something that sticks around more long term. But the idea behind the four foundations of mindfulness is that you catch the discontentedness sooner and sooner in this process. Because if you can catch it at the bodily sensation and you can cut it off there and let it go, hey, you're golden. That's somebody who's getting closer and closer to enlightenment. Their mindfulness is so well developed that they can sense the arising discontentedness when it's just in the bodily sensations and they can cut it off and let it go right there. And that's what the Buddha is talking about, about obliterating it at the stump. And the more and more you do that, eventually it won't arise anymore at all. But if you don't catch it in the bodily sensations, it's going to come to feelings in the mind. And now it's going to start polluting the mind. But once again, you have the opportunity to cut it off there and let it go so that it doesn't move to the next part, which is affect the condition of the mind. Because if you allow that feeling of anger from the person who cut you off in traffic to stay as feelings, now when you walk into work, you're going to start being angry and disgruntled to your coworkers. They haven't done anything. But because that person cut you off in traffic, it went through the bodily sensations. It became feelings in the mind. Now it's affecting the condition of the mind. 
that now you're going to start treating people around you harshly and in a disgruntled way because of something that happened to you on your way to work. This is how feelings affect the condition of the mind. But right there, you have a chance to eliminate it as well. But if you allow that to continue, that can affect you for many hours. That can affect you for many days. That can actually become what we call a mental object of ill will, where now the mind tends to be hateful and have ill will. And now everybody that it comes in contact with, it's just that negative feelings that James was talking about. Just constant negativity, constant complaining. Everybody's bad. Everybody's wrong. Everything's messed up in the world. This is the mental object of ill will, for example. And from there, it's a lot harder to root it out of the mind because it's become a mental object. So the Buddha's teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness are helping you to see the process of how discontentedness arises and what it can ultimately become so that you don't allow that to happen and you catch it at the bodily sensations. That would be ideal. Well, so uh, do you agree that uh, these sensations or feelings uh, depends on which kind of uh, discontentedness uh, the mind is experiencing? I mean, uh, uh, fears, one, one experiences or feels these fears in a certain organ of the body. A guilt, one experiences them in a certain organ and so on? Yes, that's the bodily sensation. So when you feel the bodily sensation of like, you know, people, what do they say, like butterflies in your stomach? Or if you feel a certain emptiness in the body or with anger, uh, oftentimes people feel heat rising in the body or sharp pains in the body. Uh, people feel heart palpitations and, and stress around their heart sometimes or with anxiety. You know, you can have different feelings in the body. This is the body helping you helping the mind to see, hey, something's wrong here. Can you catch this and get rid of this? This is also why once you purify the mind and you completely cleanse the mind and you get closer and closer to enlightenment, this is why the body becomes tranquil and becomes light because the mind is no longer burdened with these discontent feelings. The Buddha talks about this in his teachings. He talks about the tranquility of the body that's what is experienced as the mind becomes more enlightened is the body becomes more light just like the mind is functioning more optimally the body will function more optimally too this is why people that are enlightened tend to have very clear and bright complexions in their face they will have a certain brightness in their skin pigmentation or their complexion because the mind is functioning more optimally the body is functioning more optimally but to get to that point, you have to be able to observe those unpleasant bodily sensations to help you realize that something's wrong. At one period of time, when I would feel the mind getting attached to something, I used to feel uh, nauseous, uh, feel nauseous in the stomach. And, and even sometimes when I would feel somebody else becoming attached to me, I would sometimes feel nauseous. And this was the body helping me to see what craving, desire, attachment is. So when you feel those certain pains in certain bodily organs, 
that's what the Buddha is talking about with the four foundations of mindfulness in developing the awareness of the bodily sensations. That's an indication to you, all is not well at home. The home is the body and the mind, right? When you're feeling those bodily sensations, it's like, that's your red light that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's your red light. Like, hey, the dashboard, the red light on the dashboard, something's wrong here. All is not well. You need to investigate this. And the problem that we experience in the unrelated mind, one of the things that we do is because we're not aware of the four foundations of mindfulness and the process that discontentedness goes through, we can have a certain situation and we can go from completely calm to enraged in a, you know, in a snap of a finger. And that's where people just have lost all control. They have no control of the mind whatsoever. There's no mental discipline whatsoever. There's no wisdom. There's no moral conduct. There's no mental discipline because they're not even paying attention to those bodily sensations. But by you understanding this from the Buddhist teachings, you can tune in more and more to those bodily sensations, become more aware of the arising discontentedness. And this is why you're using breathing mindfulness meditation to slow the mind down and calm it down. This is also why equanimity is so important because the more calm the mind is, the more steady, the more in the present moment that the mind's in, you'll be able to see exactly when these bodily sensations are starting to arise. And as soon as you see it, aha, cut that off and let it go. And now the more you do that, eventually you obliterate this discontentedness at the stump and it won't arise anymore. You'll no longer experience that once you eliminate the craving, desire, attachments from the mind. Yes, uh, thanks for the picture. Uh, since that, uh, this is our, uh, all the questions that we have for today. Okay, and no more questions on Facebook or YouTube, James? No more questions, David. Okay, well, you guys had some great questions today. This is wonderful that you're thinking about your practice, that you're figuring out what it is that it is, you know, that you're looking to understand. This is exactly the way you can use me, right? Like use me as your teacher. I'm here to help you and guide you and support you, encourage you. You have to have the dedication. You have to have the determination and the diligence, but I'm providing everything else, providing all the resources, the books, audiobooks, videos, podcasts, the online classes, the Facebook group, your ability to schedule an appointment with me and to get some private guidance. You can ask questions in these classes. Eventually, once COVID starts lifting, which I'm hearing some timelines of when Thailand's gonna start opening back up, which is gonna be real soon, I'm gonna start having in-person retreats here in Thailand again. So this is how you use me as your teacher, is that where you're seeing that you need help, whether it's in your meditation practice or some other aspect of your practice or these teachings, ask questions, seek guidance. I'm here to help you. You're the only one that knows what you have challenges with and what you need help with. I'm gonna hold these classes and continue to provide overall guidance, but as you reach out and you get personalized help like this, this is where you really can learn how to apply these teachings to your practice. And we can use real world examples like the one Holly shared and some other people share that really figure out and help you discover how do you apply these teachings in a day-to-day -day situation? You know, the Buddha taught 2,500 years ago. And sometimes people think that his teachings aren't applicable to today. 
but it's not true because his teachings are actually timeless. And the more that you understand his teachings and how he's explaining the mind, then you can get help with someone like me to help you understand how to apply these teachings in your day-to-day -day life right now. So even though he taught these 2,500 years ago, they still apply today because he taught about the natural laws of existence. And the more that you awaken to this wisdom of the Buddha, the more your mind in your life will just become very peaceful, very content, and very joyful. So thank you for joining our class today. On Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 15 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And you can get that by downloading it or you can order a copy off of Amazon. This chapter 15 is about true love, learning how to love without attachment. This is a very, very important aspect of the path, especially for household practitioners, because we have partners, we have children, we have coworkers and parents and friends. We're not going into homelessness like ordained practitioners and just kind of leaving things behind. We are still involved in day-to-day -day relationships and you can have relationships. You just need to learn how to navigate this and not crush your relationships so that they're not a struggle and they're not difficult. So what we talk about on this Sunday in chapter 15 is really important for you to be able to have healthy, productive relationships with everyone around you. And if you're an enlightened, which probably are, you're probably having some struggles in your relationships. There's probably some tension in certain relationships that you have. There may even be arguments. There may even be yelling and screaming in certain relationships. This is all because of not understanding how to practice true love. There's love in there, but it's being tainted with this craving, desire, attachment. And that's why it becomes a real struggle to not only have personal relationships, but professional relationships too. So the more that you learn about true love, you can learn how to practice this on a daily basis and your relationships will be so smooth and you'll never be yelling at people. You'll never be in arguments. You'll never be trying to crush things because we think we have this love and we're trying so hard to show this love, but it oftentimes comes out as craving, desire, attachment and we crush. And this can be a real struggle for us in our life. So be sure that you read that chapter before class and or after class. And then if you can attend live, you can attend live. If not, you can watch this on the playback on YouTube, Facebook, or listen to the podcast. Continue to enjoy your meditation. Continue to be practicing that, both breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. This is going to all lead to more and more liberation of the mind. So I'll see you either on this Sunday or next Wednesday when we practice loving kindness meditation. Until then, have a lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment.
Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.